0: Welcome to The Big Rich Show. This podcast will focus on conversations with friends and acquaintances within the four-wheel drive industry. Many of the people that I will be interviewing, you may know the name, you may know some of the history, but let's get in depth with these people and find out what truly makes them a four-wheel drive enthusiast. So now's the time to sit back, grab a cold one, and enjoy our conversation. Whether you're crawling the red rocks of Moab or hauling your toys to the trail, Maxis has the tires you can trust for performance and durability. Four wheels or two. Maxis tires are the choice of champions because they know that whether for work or play, for fun or competition, Maxis tires deliver. Choose Maxis. Dread victoriously. Why should you read 4 Little magazine? Because 4Low Magazine is about your lifestyle. The four-wheel drive adventure lifestyle that we all enjoy. Rock crawling, trail riding, event coverage, vehicle builds, and do-it-yourself tech all in a beautifully presented package. You won't find 4Low on a newsstand rack, so subscribe today and have it delivered to you. On today's episode of Conversations with Big Rich is Jason Shearer. Everybody knows Jason Shearer. <laughs> um, you've got a bunch of brothers out there. Actually, you have one brother. Um, in fact, I just was just saw him yesterday or Friday and, and getting your history on rock sports and how you grew up and everything. So let's start right there. Where did you grow up?
1: Well, first of all, thanks for having me, Rich. I'm really stoked that you're putting this show together because, uh, you know, I think the memories are starting to fade. It's good to kind of archive them here because it's a cool sport and it was a really great time in all of our lives. And, uh, you know, listening to a few of the shows it brought back memories of all the, all the things that we accomplished and all the excitement and fun that we had and, you know, kind of stealing a a line from dust to glory. But if we, if we kind of, you know, knew what we were, what we were doing, then we would have, you know, get a little more attention, (laughs) but, uh, it was, it was sure a great time. So, um, you know, I grew up in the San Francisco Bay area, I kind of moved from the Oakland area to the East Bay as I grew up, you know, through the years. And um, I think a real pivotal pivotal moment for me was when we moved to Danville when I was in fifth grade. I became friends with a, a guy named Yon DeYoung and he, he his dad ended up having a Jeep and that Jeep and going dirt bike riding with him was sort of the the, you know, changing point of like, what kind of vehicles I liked and, you know, what direction I would head in life. So uh, it was a good, good thing we moved here. And uh, I still live in the same town today, believe it or not.
0: it's Awesome. That's, uh, that's Danville.
1: Yep. And home of myself and Jeff Mello. So, you know, a small town, but it's, it's actually not anymore. You know, it was when we grew up here. Um, I think it's, you know, quadrupled in size in the last 30 years or something. So it's lost a little of that small town feel, but it's still got a lot of great people and uh, the same, you know, core group of us that were in the Contra Costa Jeepers and all that. So it's a good, good town to grow up in. And I'm glad to raise my kids here.
0: Excellent. What sports influenced you as a youngster?
1: You know, I played I think I played water polo only because my parents could get me a ride to school and high school that way. But I played baseball all the way growing up. I actually stopped playing when I was like 12 years old, uh, which kind of was interesting because I think it was like my parents pushed me to play baseball or at least my dad. You know, everybody played baseball. So from T-ball on, I played and I burned out on it and wanted to ride you know, my bike and stuff like that. It was cool because when I went to high school, I wanted to play fresh you know, the baseball. Like you're gonna try out for the baseball team you haven't played in a few years, you know. Good luck, right? And uh, uh made the team and he made a big commitment. Uh he bought a pitching machine um in a batting cage for me and I'd hit a bucket of balls every day from like, you know, the end of my freshman year through my sophomore year. And when I try, you know, started playing on my sophomore year, I had grown a lot. Like I had that big growth spurt and was hitting a couple buckets of balls every night, and that thing at you know eighty miles an hour. And when I got to the regular games, it was like it looked like they were throwing softballs at me because I was used to seeing such a fast pitch. So uh, made it up to you know playing JV and then uh, varsity. But you know it was it was cool. I got MVP. Baseball was like super influential in my life because I love the team and I love the coaches you know, got MVP and the brother Jerome Award at De La Salle high school. It was just a really cool thing. And then I chased it a little bit in college, playing in a bunch of different colleges and bouncing all over the place, you know, didn't, didn't end up making it new, new after a couple of games where I saw pitchers that had stuff that I had never seen before, that it wasn't going to be my career. But up until that point, you know, that was my, my drive every day. I actually thought that would be my career, if you will you Know every kid wants to grow up to be a fireman or baseball player, right? And that was what I wanted to be, and didn't, you know, have really a backup plan uh, after the baseball thing. But as it turned out, uh, my dad needed help at work, so I came home from school and helped him with work. Uh, he had started his own company and it grew to the point where it was doing well, and he ended up with some employees that. It left. And so he said, Hey, is there any chance you can come home for a semester and help me with work? And I was like, sure. And I never, you know, I was 26 years ago now. <laughs> so that's how that worked out.
0: And that was, uh, that was Pelican communications.
1: Yep. You know, it's doing great. Um, a little tough in the COVID times here because we've diversified into a lot of things. Some of them are doing extremely well, and some of them are really struggling. So it's a, it's an interesting time. It's not terrible, but it's not great, you know. So we're getting through it, though.
0: So how big is the telephones now, the pay telephones? Is that Man. any part of the business anymore?
1: No, it's completely gone. Um, you know, I installed over 2,000 payphones like myself. Like I was just, it was a great time, right? I, I learned a lot about business. Um, there was no rule book in the payphone world. They deregulated from what was Pac Bell back then. I could buy a payphone for about a thousand dollars and then I had to go install it somewhere. So I had to learn how to you know, convince a liquor store or a gas station owner to let me put my payphone out there. I'd give him more share of what money it made than he was getting from Pac Bell and I'd sign him up to a contract. So I learned the sales side and the contracting and then I'd order the telephone lines and pour the concrete, install the equipment, run the conduit, run the phone lines, get them up and running and then set them out. You know, so we could schedule the routing and have collections done and learned a lot about computer systems and software systems to, to operate them and to manage the route. You know, It was a neat business. You know, At one point, it was a gravy train. We had 2,000 payphones making $150 a month net, and you, know, you thought you could do no wrong, um, and that business quickly went away, and we diversified into digital jukeboxes. They had just come out. So then we moved into where we had 600 digital jukeboxes and the bars and all that stuff. And I was very worried. It was very capital intensive, took years off my life because of the stress of all that. But the business I always worried, I I, would go to bed every night worried that like Apple or somebody was going to come out with technology that would put us out of business who would have thought it'd be COVID. Right. But that business I sold four years ago, And focused mainly on our managed accounts, which were chains that had a need for those services, but didn't necessarily have a geographical area that you could operate within. So we ended up with national chains that said, hey, we want, you know, if it was music, we have the Hooters account. We have every jukebox at every Hooters in the country. If it's ATMs, you know, I have every family dollar with an ATM machine in it and things like that. So you know, we've diversified to where we've got a, a lot of national chains out there, but we don't have all our eggs in one basket. And that makes me sleep a lot better at night. So it's a good, good thing. We're also doing stuff like video games at K1 speed and things like that that you wouldn't expect. And like right now, you know, Regal Cinemas, K1, they're all closed, right? And they're not all of them, but a lot of them are closed. So right. there's been hard, hard stuff and great stuff. You know, the ATMs are killing it because everybody uh, got stimulus checks or got their, uh, you know, their money through their ACHs and now they're going to the ATMs and getting those, getting their money out.
0: That's, that's good. And so through the years, you've been able to, what now I guess is the term pivot, but you know, looking at what's going to happen and then, or what's happening and then being able to diversify. That's awesome.
1: Uh, Yeah, some of it's just, you know, luck, but we're always looking for other pieces of equipment that earn and what we can, what else we can do within that footprint and what else our customers need. So it's been good and it keeps you, you know, with an open mind. And, and I think that's good in business is to stay open and, you know, not just say, Oh, we only do this one thing. And I think we've taken that aspect in the racing side as well. You know, when it was rock crawling, uh, looking at different ideas, or if it's now in the ultra four stuff, trying to you know, make the cars faster and look at different ways to do things without a kind of a well that'll never work attitude. Because you see that a lot in racing, you know, we do it this way or that won't work or whatever. And we we try to try as much as we can out there and learn from that stuff.
0: Well I I can remember we'll jump ahead a little bit, but in the rock crawling world when uh Walker Evans showed up with the four wheel independent car, you know, or I guess it was just front independent. But he uh he cut that out after Moon Rocks and showed back up at the next event like two weeks later with the drag axle, with a, with a solid axle again.
1: Yeah, who would have thought it would take us 10 years later to build that same car again for the hammers, right?
0: Exactly. <laughs> so let's find out a little bit about, you know, you said you're riding bikes, motorcycles and bicycles.
1: Uh, my parents wouldn't let me have a dirt bike, so my buddy had a couple and, and we'd ride his together all the time. Uh, We were doing, it was like ABA BMX and racing BMX bikes and then riding dirt bikes up in the mountains. And uh, he had a cabin off Highway 50 up in Strawberry. And we would ride, you know, the Overlook Trail or like the most influential thing was his parents taking us on Barrett Lake, you know, rode an XR100 through Barrett Lake and hit like 12 years old, right? You know, just seeing all that stuff and being part of it we made a real easy decision when I turned 16, what kind of car I wanted. It was like, I want a Jeep, you know, what I didn't know at the time was that we'd kind of turn into teenagers and say, Hey, we should go up and do Rubicon this weekend. You know, I was 16. My buddy was 16. We both said, I'll tell my parents I'm spending the night at your house. You tell your parents you're spending the night at my house. And you know, here we are on the Rubicon and 16 year old kids with, you know, no spare parts, no tools. We didn't know anything. And you know, luckily we made it through it all. You know, it was sure a lot of fun. And I can't imagine being a
0: parent now and letting <laughs> my kids go do that. <laughs> there was a there was a lot more freedom. You know, I'm I'm sixty almost sixty-three now. I read something today that you'll never be able to raise your kids the way you were raised because the world is completely different. I can remember taking my bicycle and we rode from San Bruno to Santa Cruz and then yeah. hitchhiked back. So we'd get back before dark. You wouldn't well, dare do that.
1: I've had some neighbors give me the the evil eye just because we let our kids go to the neighbor's house, you know, five doors down on their own without supervision. And I mean, he's seven years old. It's not like, you know, my daughter's 12. It's not like I'm really worried about him making it seven house, you know, five houses down the street. But they were like, oh my gosh, what's this kid doing walking by himself? They're about ready to call Child Protective Services on us, you know, uh, whatever.
0: Yeah, it's, it, it, life's crazy right now. So, you bought a Jeep then when you were 16, or that was your first vehicle? Yeah, I, uh, I made a deal with my
1: dad early on that <clears throat> whatever money I made working for him during the summers, he would, you know, I saved it all, and whatever I had, he would match so I could buy a Jeep, and that's I a great a deal. It was a great program. It really incentivized me to work. You know, and I worked from the time I was about 12 years old with them, you know, whether it was the holiday breaks or summer, I was down there with them every day. I was, their babysitter was taking me to work. So my dad had a shop. He was in the video game business. It wasn't terrible to go down there, but I couldn't just play them all day. I had to clean them and fix them. And they also had a cigarette uh, route. And so I'd put stamps on the cigarettes so that they knew what county they came from and all that it was, you know, hard work. It wasn't just playing games, but it was cool. And the people that worked down there were really nice to me. They, you know, teach me how to clean up the equipment and how to fix a, a button that was bad a micro switch. You know, I'd learned a little bit mechanically that way. And also, you know, just putting in the hours and, and, you know, I worked hard enough that they all respected me so that I didn't embarrass my dad down there. And so, you know, it was great. And he paid me decent enough that I could save up some money. And so I bought a 72 cj5 it was fixed up pretty nice for the times and i loved it it was such a great jeep you know and i still have it today and it's the jeep i started my first rock crawling competitions at Cal rocks and wow so same okay. car, and uh it's kind of cool that it stuck around all these years
0: yeah that's awesome so you went to high school at de la salle with a jeep you you said you went to a couple of different colleges is that were they all in the bay area or outside of the area
1: um, they were all over California for the most part. And you know, one of the things about that, that Jeep up at um, Chico state, which was a division two baseball team that I was playing out the first year and it got stolen uh, out of the parking lot in the dorms. And so the, it was just crazy. It was like, you know, unrelated to anything. It was just a gang that came by and stole it. And it was a super bummer, but I bought a, a rusted out Jeep on the way home and you know, like that summer and, you know, sprung it over and did a few things, ended up at San Diego State for school and got to take it down to Baja. And so I learned, you know, got a little love for going down to Baja back then early on. And about Thanksgiving of that year, I got a phone call from a CHP officer who said that they found my Jeep um, seven or eight months later or something, right? And it was trash. Like, the pinion was missing out of the rear end, so we weren't sure about this. And the transmission was broken. So we were like, should we buy it back from the insurance company and, and fix it up? And we did. It wasn't worth it, but it was totally a you know cool thing to get the Jeep back. And that's about the time I met Jeff Mello. I came home one of those uh, weekends. He was doing some welding on a gate for my parents. And my Jeep was in a million pieces. And he saw it and he was like, what are you doing? And I'm like, oh, I'm rebuilding my Jeep and he's like oh wow you know so uh he he was super cool i got the thing all back together it had some broken spring hangers and stuff and i didn't have a welder or even know how to weld so jeff taught me how to stick weld and got the thing back together um and he was always so nice i remember all the way back then it was like eight or nine o'clock at night and i said hey man i can't make it this weekend i just noticed the spring hanger was broken i couldn't make the contra costa jeep trip and he's like Huh, we're not leaving until the morning. It's only nine o'clock at night. Bring it over here. Let's fix it. You know? And I was like, seriously, you know, I couldn't believe it. You know, at nine o'clock at night, somebody would invite you over to work on their stuff. And he was always that way. And he did, he does that today to this day, right? He, he always takes people under his wing and, and teaches them, you know, the right ways to do stuff. And, you know, he's a good guy that way. And it, it taught me to be the same way. We always have kind of a kid in the shop that we're and stuff too and it it it's a nice thing you know you teach some of that stuff to people and goes a long way so you know i gotta thank him for giving me that like extra little bit of effort back as you know when i was a kid he didn't do it for me he wouldn't weld it up for you but he would teach you how to use the welder and stand right behind you and you know that's the way to do it you get them to hands on it instead of doing it all for them and it's great
0: excellent and now you know to move to jump forward real quick again now you're uh you're doing a lot of building.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, all over the board, I guess we're, we're building stuff like crazy. I, I can't even believe that, you know, it went from, I, I couldn't get the exhaust to fit on my Jeep because it had a 304 in it and I was trying to spring it over and the exhaust was rubbing. So I ended up at the first Calrox event that I did. It was a place I don't think we ever went back. It was like a, a Lions Club or something. We called it, it was near Lucerne. I can't remember the name of it. It was like a little Lions Club thing.
0: Yep. It was uh, lion's pride
1: park, lion's pride park. Yep. And I had, you know, a T18 manual in there with the granny low Dana 20 transfer case and, you know, stock axles in it and open headers. And I got on that first course and the carburetor was causing me fits. And, you know, I was ripping all the way around that thing. And, you know, I think we finished like one or two courses the whole weekend. That's it. You know, and it was just, I mean, the thing sounded like it was ready for the drags, drag races, but it was just going nowhere on the rock courses. And You know, that was the first one, and that was the first season, I think. I think it was 2001, if I recall. Now, I had spotted a little bit. I had, I had helped uh, Bob Rice, who was in the Jeep Club. Right. I really liked Bob. I mean, I love Bob to this day, but he he asked me if I wanted a spot for him. He's the first person that ever took me to the Hammers, um, I think there was an ARCA event or something out there and, you know, we'd go down there and, and play around and, uh, we went to Farmington, New Mexico, or hold on. We went to Las Cruces, New Mexico for one of the events. We were supposed to be in the stock class. This is great. So bought a 35 inch tire YJ, but he had put black diamond suspension on it when Warren was making the suspension yep. and, you know, it was a coilover kit and we got to the, to the first spot you know that we were supposed to go into and they go oh you're in the unlimited class and he goes no we're on 35 inch tires and they go we have aftermarket suspension you're in the unlimited class so you know tracy jordan and don robbins and these monster toyotas with four-wheel steer and (laughs) we spanked him on the first obstacle (laughs) and i was like hey we got a shot And we got to the next obstacle we couldn't make it over some of these breakover ledges and stuff and we didn't we didn't do too well but man we had a lot of fun i was doing competitive trials bikes at the time you know, really enjoying picking lines, and it was a good crossover to rock on because you didn't have the strength necessarily, but you still had to hold your balance, or you would get a dab, which was like a point. Right, it was kind of similar to a backup, and you needed to clear the gates in the order they were run. And so it was a little easier for me, I think, to kind of adapt to what we were going after. You know, different ways to get through the gates. You didn't just have to follow the gates. You could turn around over here to get a better line. You could do things like that as long as you stayed within the flow and I was kind of a natural thing. So I felt like we had a good handle on what the goal was and it helped us think outside the box. You know, you're driving into this one then backing up through this one and doing a little bit different maybe at the early onset than everybody else that was just following the the gates. I think the courses and the, the people making them were starting to think, Hey, if they're smart, they'll try to do this. And they were setting the courses that way. And it made it really fun if you could really get into it and really enjoy, you know, what you, what the options were that were out there. You know, the last event of the first season was Donner Ski Ranch, which was kind of my home track, if you will, because we had a cabin right there. At this point I was already dating Dana. I hadn't gotten married yet, but we were, you know, we were together and they had a cabin right there. So it was really easy for me we we got up to Donner that time you know the Jeep was rough by the end of the season I mean it had been rolled over and smashed and had different colored fenders on it you know I had gone and put a, a Vortec V6 in it because it was fuel injected I bought a transmission and Atlas from Advanced Adapters got that in there met a lot of good people along the way you know, welding up steel bead locks in my driveway my, you know, neighbors stopping by that I, you know, go to this day because they helped me weld them up. And, you know, it was all kind of, you know, low buck and a little bit like not very fancy, but we, we had the suspension working, we had everything steering correctly, which, you know, back in the stock mod days, it was hard to get stuff to steer even. Right. So yes. we had the Jeep working well enough that we ended up winning that event at the Donner ski ranch. And that was our first, well, it wasn't our first win. And only you will remember this because there's probably nobody else that was around for this, but you hosted what I consider to be the first rock race of all time. It was a Napa. God, I'm glad we're having this talk because I had forgotten about this until just now. I got there. I showed up 35 inch tire stock mod Jeep. Some guy in the parking lot looked at me and said, you're not going to make it through the course in that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I was like, well, we'll see, you know. And so we went out there and, I mean, it was brutal, right? And I I had lightened it all up. I had, you know, the Jeep was stripped down. So it was a really, really lightweight car, kind of Jesse Haynes style in nowadays world of, of the Jeep stock mod stuff. And we went out there and we won. And I, I still have the trophy. It's like six foot tall trophy. You know, I, I, that poor Jeep, though, it got smashed. Like the right rear corner hit a rock without the tailgate in there. And it was pushed in about, you know, 10 degrees. And so the tailgate no longer fit until I took a high lift jack and pushed the Jeep back out so I could get the tailgate in there. And so it was trashed at this point, all the body mounts were broken off of it. So we win Donner, you know, it was pretty cool. Things were were looking up and we started to get some interest from sponsors because we were doing well. You know, I called John marking and emailed John marking at Fox and, you know, just kept telling him. hey, man, I know what we need. we need. We need tons of rebound, but we don't need much compression. But I needed to hit a rock and stay instead of bouncing off of it. He finally, either because I was bugging him or he was interested, I'll never know, he sent me a set of shocks. You know, they were valved the way we wanted them. And I think it really helped us get in, you know, at that Calrox event at Donner. I think that was, like, the difference because people were struggling on these ledges that we had to climb, and we were able to bounce them and kind of stick and we made it up it that was the last event for my jeep the rules changed a little bit and they should have right there was there was people who were going come on the stock wheelbase and the stock steering box can i move the wheelbase out two inches and can i do this and that and it was a fair thing because 83 inch wheelbases and these ledges just weren't getting along well but at the same time i didn't want to take the jeep and turn it into a buggy so That's when I called Schaefer and said, okay, you know, I was doing okay work-wise, business was getting better, and I was like, I want to build a buggy. I want to compete in the the unlimited class, and Schaefer was just about to start building the Diablo, the first one, and I said, why don't we build two of them, you know, and in the meantime, I, you know, hung out with Lance Clifford, become friends with him a little bit, and Schaefer was going to build mine first. And so he got started on it. Bender was working there, right? So Rob and Schaefer were working on the buggy together. And I think they were in Roundhouse area at the time, that Dayton Roundhouse area. And I'd go up there and they'd start making progress. And this thing was beautiful, right? But we started it, it you know, with the grill first and the hood. And we made it a cage and then the chassis was all laid out. And then we saw where we could make the suspension clear and where to put the motor and that, right? it was just so backwards from today's world right and tires were rubbing here and links were hitting here and drive lines didn't clear and all that stuff but looked cool right it was just the evolution of how we got to where we are now as we started that way and mike didn't get my car done in time but he certainly didn't get his car done in time and he had the first ARCA championship right i think it was arca it could have been urock but it was one of them and it was the one that like i think it ruined the the deal up at uh moon rocks yep and i don't know if you remember that but it was if the wind came up at the end of the event right
0: blew all the trash out of the cans yep
1: oh just a nightmare and i think that's what killed us up there is the blm thing you know and everything but anyway not to digress into that mike said hey I need to borrow your buggy or I'll build you the bug, the the second buggy, but I need to compete because he had just won the championship in his, uh, Zuki. So he and Lance had done that. And I was a little bit bummed. And then Lance calls me out of the blue and he goes, dude, if you want to compete, just take my Land Cruiser. So I was like, are you sure? You know, I mean, you you really want me to compete in your Land Cruiser? He's like, dude, how about it? You can't hurt it. So I competed in that thing and had a blast. You know, I mean, it was super fun. We did okay, but I mean, and not nothing to discredit Lance's Land Cruiser, but it had all kinds of crazy suspension. And, you know, you'd, the rear would start going about 20 degrees one way when you're still driving over here because uh, it would flex out and rear steer on its own. And, you know, we, we didn't have much time to practice. So got through those first events and then finally got the car and we went to a place that I think NorCal Rock Racing is going back to, which is Fernley, Nevada. Yes. And, uh, you know, it was a That story, and I'll get into the details of it, but I think when I showed up, Bender was finishing the last tubes on the chassis, and we were supposed to compete the day after that. So the motor was on the table but wasn't in the car, and this was like the third delay. So Bender stayed for 30 hours, as did all of us. Um, My friend Vern had come down from Canada, Mello. All these guys were there, and um, we wired it and plumbed it, And got it fired up and running and took it to Fernley. And, you know, Schaefer's car was already all ready run a few events. And so I show up, I think the first obstacle I drove up to, I I broke every wheel stud off the front left wheel because they were were just like the wrong taper for for what we had. They were like five-eighths and we had half-inch studs and it just sheared them all off. So... I made it about four feet into the first. I don't even know if I had cleared the entry gate, So that was the debut of the new car, right? So we went to the hardware store and we bought bolts and we tightened them from the other side with the right size lug nuts on there. We got them all tight on all the wheels and we went out there with one, you know, 40 on that course or whatever and we made it to the finals and it was of all people, it was myself against Schaefer, (laughs) <laughs> so here's the kid that just gets the car from Schaefer against the world champ rock crawler Schaefer and we go out there and I'll never forget Schaefer's face when we got to the bottom and he goes I cannot believe it I build a car for you and you go out and beat me in the first event and it was <laughs> like yes <you> no, know, <laughs> we did it you know it was such an awesome feeling but um Schaefer was cool as could be you know it was it was he was stoked for us super happy and everybody had a good time and we had our highs and lows from that point, you know, it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. The things changed really quickly. There was a, a, a pro class then for ARCA and rock that merged and it was just ARCA and ranch set up a deal where you had to have, you know, enough points. And unfortunately I don't think the Cal rocks points were levied very heavily into their formula. You know, I was just doing the local stuff. And so we were driving well enough at the time that we, probably deserved to be there but we didn't we didn't fit into their you know criteria which you know they have to have some a way to do it and i know that probably a lot of people complained but at the end of the day they needed a system so uh we went to the west and that's where you know jeff and i had had a ton of fun mellow and i had had just a blast doing trail wheeling and and playing at sand dunes and racing at the marysville sand drags and just wherever you could think of, Pismo, Coos Bay, we were going all over the place, having a blast doing Jeep stuff. He said, well, I made the pro class and I don't have a buggy. You made the West or you didn't make it and you've got the buggy. And I went, well, why don't you just drive my buggy in the pro class and I'll drive it in the West. And he's like, man, I don't know. Can we do that? And I mean, there was weekends where the motor wouldn't even get cold and we'd swap somewhere in a different state and You know, I'd swap the body panels off because he had a skyjacker suspension sponsorship. So we had different body panels and we'd throw them on there and I'd go out and compete in it.
0: And it was a heck of a lot easier to do
1: something like that back then because the prep was, it was there, but it was pretty minuscule. You know, we had a great time. I mean, we really had a lot of fun and it was, it was good. It was good times. It really was. Then I showed up at your event, which was called put up or shut up at cougar buttes i don't remember how many people were there it was a decent turnout though for anyone who doesn't know i guess to give the backstory on this put up or shut up was the pre-season non-points race run what you brung one class best winner you know best driver wins the event and that's it and it was i think it was a level up on the hard obstacle side it was kind of you know the precursor maybe to super crawl if you will and You know, I showed up there and it ended up being John Nelson in, it was Bunder, it was John Bunder, but it was Nelson's, you know, Nelson and Nelson racing that tiny and here I am in my first event against those guys. So what you got to remember is I had the buggy for a whole year, but i had never seen any of these guys head to head because I didn't make it into the pro class. So they didn't go to the West. Right. And so they had never seen me. So like John, Bun- John Bundren knew who I was. John Nelson had never seen me before because I raced Cal Rocks or competed in Cal Rocks um, and show up, showed up there. Well, we had to go to like a triple elimination final because we kept, you know, smoking every course together and we were tied, tied, tied at the very end. And finally we did a final shootout. And I just remember John Nelson, I got done with it. And John comes over, he goes, who the hell are you? You know, and I'm
0: like, (laughs) because at that point he was always competing against. It was always Tracy.
1: It was pretty much always Tracy. You know, you had a you had a handful of other guys that could have won. You know, you had uh, who was it that wore shorts everywhere? Can't think of it. Shorts and flip flops. One of the guys from the the East. But you had you had Durham, and you had a handful of guys that were. You know, they could have won any other any of the events if some of the stuff had gone their way. But he had never met us. Ken Shoup. It was yep. Shoup. Ken. Yep. Yep. You know, there were some really good guys that were competing at the time. And, of course, you know, you had Shannon Campbell and some other people out there that were winning events here and there. And um, But it was really – Tracy was the – you know, Tracy and Jason Pauley and a couple of those guys um, were the top dogs at the time. And Bunret came out and went tiny and won just about every event for a couple of years there. And, it, and he ended up winning the next event at that – put up or shut up but I mean it was down to you know I he went out of bounds and it was like a rule change coming for the next year that you could do that but he he really didn't win that event but the rules kind of led him into it and it was like okay whatever but that's where John Nelson sort of saw that I could drive and when when John Bundren sort of wanted to quit doing it that's when Nelson was cool with me and said you know you want to you want to buy tiny or you want to drive it or what do you want to do? And we worked out something where I could drive the car and ended up buying it from them. And that was probably right about the time we were peaking, right? So like 2004, 2005, whatever that was, we were now competing with the big boys. We were, you know, doing better and better at each event and taking it really seriously. And Lance had become my spotter. Schaefer had sort of focused more on building cars and going to Baja which was great and we can segue to all that stuff too at some point in this because if Schaefer hadn't done the Baja thing, I don't think my career would have gone the direction it went because desert side of it was totally foreign to me except for liking to go down to Baja. I had never driven or ridden or been in anything that went fast through the desert. Not that Jeep speeds were fast, but I hadn't been in anything faster than a pickup truck. So, you know, it uh, it was cool that that all happened. But buying tiny was, was one of those pivotal moments that sort of changed everything for me because we were now competing against Tracy and at the top level. You know, we had a lot of success. We, we, I think that 2005 event that they had at SEMA was sort of the it, – it, in my opinion, I think that was the highlight of rock crawling. Like that was the event that put us on the map. Parking lot of SEMA man-made course and everyone at SEMA going wow I can't believe they're driving up that I mean it was it was quite a display of our of our skill you know our race craft at the time I know that there was some cool events out there and everything and it wasn't necessarily the best obstacles or really anything that was like
0: it, it was the biggest showcase
1: it was the biggest show ever you know I think that night I always remember like Todd Tinnenbrook from Fox now he's a uh, He's got his own tuning company for shocks and everything. But I always remember he said I had gone to a bunch of rock crawling events. I had never jumped up and down and screamed at the top of my lungs before until that event. Because you know, that final and that event was it was crazy, right? And and you know, BZ and Tracy, it was Tracy and I at the end at the shootout. We had something going on with our car, whether it was sabotage that happened in the parking lot. Or whatever happened, we showed up, you know, to the first obstacle in the shootout, which had been pushed till like eight or nine o'clock that night. And the car sat from the last obstacle at two in the afternoon. But when we got into the obstacle, somehow the regulator on the air pressure for the lockers, the screw was all the way screwed out. Uh, We tried switching bottles in the beginning. You know, we couldn't get in the entry gate. Uh, We weren't sure if the time had started because we hadn't actually broken the plane, (laughs) but we swapped bottles. I was carrying a full size power tank on my lap at this point because we had tried a little bottle and it didn't make it work. So somebody handed me a full size power tank, you know, I've got a 10 pound bottle on my lap and I'm trying to drive through the obstacles. And once we decided that we couldn't get the lockers to work, I was like, well, the front right tire is spinning So if I pull the front right cutting brake, maybe the front left will differentiate, and get some power. So we got through the first of the obstacles and we were, we were pegged. We were on full tilt. I mean, tires were spinning, tires were getting taller because they were spinning so fast trying to get up stuff. And I was pulling cutting brakes and pulling, you know, moving stuff. And we got all the way through the course. And unfortunately we had taken one or two too many backups to get the win because we went into the obstacle with the lead. We didn't win, but we were the fan favorite by a long shot. We walked out of there, and, and you know, it was cool. We had such a good time. I always remember that like night. You know, just being such an awesome thing. I just, it was like we were. We felt like it was starting to get to a bigger and bigger career in racing. You know, things were really looking up. We were kind of, you know, I know Tracy won, but we were kind of the top of the game right then and there. Like we felt like we were getting the sponsors. Things were growing. You know, you had so much interest from, from BF Goodrich and, you know, Fox and everybody was like, all right, this is, this is cool. And that next, you know, couple of years, it sort of stagnated. Um, It didn't keep growing. I got a great story for you. You'll love this one. I know I've been talking a long time, so you can keep going. We, we We were competing in pro rock. I think it was like cow rocks. And then we rock right in that same time. And then you rock all of them. And we were using Tiny for all the events. And Lance and I had an event that came up. And I think it was probably 06 or 07. It was 07. And I didn't know it. It was in Farmington, Chokecherry. But we didn't know it was going to be the last Rock event of all time. Like, it, it was. But nobody knew it at the event. So I was leading the Pro Rock Championship. I couldn't. I had to go to the UROC championship as well and they were on the same weekend you know there was there was a rock crawl pretty much every weekend back then In this in the when there wasn't winter i was leading the, the pro rock championship and i knew if i finished like in the top three or four we could lock up the championship so i was like well the UROC events on friday and saturday right they never competed on sunday but the pro rocks on saturday and sunday so maybe we could get from from farmington to cougar buttes from friday night or sorry saturday night after the UROC event drive all night and then compete on sunday well get one day in <laughs> right so we get to farmington we're in the motorhome or the trailer i had a trailer you know a forest river trailer with the buggy in the back it was great setup and my father-in-law goes man i wish i had gone with you and i said we'll just fly into farmington we'll come pick you up so we went and picked him up at the airport and that was, his flight got in around midnight. We were supposed to compete the next morning at 8 a.m. Well, he got there. And the next thing you know, he's like, oh, let's, you know, let's have a drink. And 10 turned into 20. And the next thing you know, you know, he's doing his thing with, you know, that Steve-O does in there. And I've got rap music on. We always listen to Andre Nicotina, right? So it's four in the morning, of our trucks singing every word at the top of our lungs. and somebody comes out of their trailer and goes, will you turn that? And they said some explicit words and then shit off. And so (laughs) we finally calmed down a little bit. We turned it off and uh, we got up at 8am and we went out there and we won the event. (laughs) So here's the guys we had, nobody had more fun than us for sure. Right. We won on the fun side every time. And we didn't turn off the car after the last obstacle. We drove it right into the back of the trailer and we skipped the awards. Lance's dad, Larry, he went to the award ceremony for us. We weren't even positive we had won because there were still some other guys on courses, and we peeled out. We drove all night. We had breakfast at Denny's in Barstow, cut over 247 and hit Cougar Buttes. We ended up having such a good day on Sunday that we won the event because Cody Wagner had such a crappy day on Saturday we still outpointed them by the end and then the shootout and everything. So we won the event and we skipped the first day. So what happened was we won the U rock event. We won the, the pro rock event and the pro rock championship all in one weekend. And it was like, we came home with three trophies and man Sunday we were so tired, but I had to be at work on Monday. So <laughs> Steve, it was there with us my father-in-law he says well i'll drive the truck and trailer you guys sleep so you know lance goes and he gets in the trailer and he's sleeping in the trailer while we're pulling it down i5 <laughs> and steva falls asleep at the wheel but he tells us to this day that he saw a cow and he was dodging a cow into the center of <laughs> i5 we spun the fifth wheel out across the center of i5 in the median and lance was on the bed on the like you know front of it and he ended up on the ground with all the plates and dishes and pots and pans and everything up on top of them and he said for sure he thought he was gonna die like right <laughs> then and there in there that's how he was gonna die in the middle of i-5 in the fifth wheel right i'm like sorry bro you know and <laughs> steve swears to this day that there is a cow and i'm like uh-huh <laughs> there was a cow bud <laughs> sure thing <laughs> We made it home and got to work on Monday, but man, we, we did that a lot. You know, all these events that were Saturday, Sunday, we drove home. Most of the time for me, they felt like it took 10 minutes to get home because I would pick apart everything we did wrong and it wore on me, right? It was, I constantly wanted to get better. And so everything that happened, that was wrong. I sat there and tried to figure out a way to fix it. You know, what could I have done better? What did I do wrong? What do I need to improve on the car? How do I fix our communications between the spotter and I? And that is one thing that I don't think has changed the day, right? Like if we go to the hammers and test, and I drive home, it's somehow it's crazy. Cause the next thing I know, it's like, well, we just passed Bakersfield. I better get fuel. Cause I don't even remember the drive through Mojave because I'm sitting there thinking about everything we need to work on. And it's just, you know, one of those, one of those character traits that, you know, I've kept since those days. But a lot of sleepless nights over it, you know, I I get really into it. And I know it's probably hard for people to believe now, but I took it really seriously. You know, it meant a lot to try to win those. And they were so hard to win. The competition was fierce. Uh, The drivers were incredible. And, you know, in the Rock Calling days, there was a new driver probably at every event we went to. And, you know, after two or three or four events, they were a contender a lot of times because they could build a new car. And come out there, and you know they had a little advantage with some newer technology and, and everything, and it was it was
0: good times. So let's talk about transitioning in from uh, the rock crawling and going into KOH before KOH. Okay, we did a couple of trips together down yep. to Baja. Yep, with the Jeep Speed, and then with uh, Pistol. Yep. and Lance where you were one of the three guys in, in the, in the truck.
1: Well, 2007 was that year. I mean, I remember riding around with you and your truck down in like between Cabo and La Paz a couple of times trying to get, you know, what we did so everyone can understand it is I rode in Pete's trophy truck is a passenger. He had two co-dog seats and he sat in the middle. So it was a geyser truck with three seats and I was the gauge guy, gauge boy, he called it. And then, Lance was a navigator and he called us both padding. We were padding if anything went wrong. Um, and <laughs> our deal that year, we had been to Baja a few times racing in Shaper's Jeep speed. And I wasn't as big a part of that. You know, I'd go down there, but I wasn't in the car, you know, it was it was Jody Everding and, um, camo, mellow, uh, Lance, Lance and Mike, um, who else? Mike? Rogi, uh, Bob Rogie. Rogie. I don't know how I forgot Rogie. Yep. Yeah, so anyway, that was kind of our group. I wanted to do Jeep Speed. Lance bought Stobas Jeep Speed. We were competing. at. Like, I was just at Parker this week, and it's funny because, you know, I just – memories of, of Parker in the Terminator, which <laughs> was named from that race, right, when we, we hit Jason LaFortune's Class 3 Jeep Speed deals that we – Hit in the silt bed. They were stuck in the silt bed or it stopped in the middle of it and we were we were still going 60. We never saw it. And it was a full throttle from sixty miles an hour to zero. And all I saw was fuel safe, because that was the last thing in the back of the car when we hit it. And just you know, knocked us out. I think we got hit seven times from the rear in that in the in the car while we were still in there. And one time I always remember Todd LaDuke, just we're bouncing all over, but Parker. In the Jeep speed landed a tool bag. that was actually strapped to the floorboard and the radiator had gotten stuck in the fan, you know, the fan had gotten smashed into the radiator. And so we couldn't start the Jeep. So he went up there to try to get the fan out of there so we could send it over loosen up the belt enough that it would just slip and we could drive. And so he needed the tool bag. So I turn around with the tool bag and I look up and here comes Todd Leduc and I could see the white of his eyes when I'm I'm holding this tool bag up and he saw the stopped car. And so the next thing I know, I ping pong through the roll cage a little bit. And then I'm looking around for this uh, tool bag and I can't find, I mean, I'm like turning around, going back and forth, looking for this tool bag everywhere. And it turned out he hit us hard enough that the tool bag stayed in the air. The Jeep went forward 10 feet and it fell out into the sand behind the Jeep. (laughs) So I get out of the Jeep, and I go out there, and I grab the bag, and Lance and I get the belt loose. We get right ready to get back in, and here comes Todd running from over there. He goes, oh, my God, man, I thought I killed you. I could see you in there, and I just hit you. And I'm like, Nah, I smashed against a few tubes, but it didn't hurt. You know what I mean? And not bad. I'm okay. And He's like, oh, I thought for sure I killed you. And I'm like, nope, I'm good, man. Go ahead. Get out there. And he's like, okay. And we still talk about it to this day whenever I see him because he was <laughs> – and he was shaken enough to get out of the car and come running back across there to see if I was okay. But it was it was wild. But anyway, Lance was getting good at being a co-driver. He would learn the Jeep stuff. He then learned the Jeep speed stuff, and he was he was Pete's pick for being a co-driver. And then after that, I think he was Roger Norman's pick. So yep. he had he gotten some good seats as a navigator. What happened was we were still doing the Jeep speed. So Schaefer said, why don't you guys drive from La Paz to, or wherever we came across there that year in 07, why don't you guys drive the Jeep speed from there down to Cabo? We'll get it to you, but you'll be done with the trophy truck. And have already been able to get back up. So we were like, okay, that works. So, you know, except that what they forgot was it was like 16 hours in the trophy truck we got to that hotel, man, we were smoked and we came in fourth. So we came in fourth in a, uh, in trophy truck. I mean, that was a pretty, I think that was Pete's best effort in the thousand. I mean, I know it was, yeah,
0: um, it was, that was a hell of a race. Everything that happened, not only on the course for you guys, but for the, for the pit crew, just getting there to each stop. Yeah, It was nuts. Yes. And so for those of you who don't
1: know, Pete's, got like two trucks. One of them has the trailer hooked up and the other one's doing the fueling and has the spares and the tires and they have to leapfrog each other down the coast and there's no way to get ahead because the trophy truck, unless it breaks, is going at such a clip that you're hauling the mail on the road to be there. I think we had to wait for fuel for a second at one of the pits because the guys weren't even there yet and we're, you know, we're driving through the dirt and they're driving through the pavement. So, you know, it was, it was a low buck effort that was really cool. Something happened in that race. You know, Pete doesn't, Pete was, gave everyone a hard time, but he loved everybody, but he gave everybody a hard time. And some people he liked more than others, right? So he doesn't know me very well. I bought the seat. It was $5,000 to buy the seat. And I get in his truck. Um, I had ridden, I had pre-run with him in Harbor Freight. And when I got in the actual trophy truck, you know, we rode around in Ensenada to make sure everything was good. But we basically had never been in the vehicle before the race except for up and down the street in Ensenada so we're starting to head out of town we go through the wash and I look down now you got to remember this This is an important part of the story back then they didn't have qualifying you picked a number out of a hat kind of deal right drew first so the 40th Baja 1000 we left the line first so my first trophy truck event (laughs) we go off the line first I'm like wow this is epic you know and it was I mean it was quite an honor but you also get you know all the booby traps and all the stuff and everything going well I'm like watching the gauges it's all I've got I've got gauges it's not like I'm navigating and doing a bunch of other stuff and I'm watching the temperature gauge and it's bouncing up and down and I'm like that's not good you know Um, so I told him when it got to like 220 I said hey Pete You got 220 on the water temp. Unfortunately, the problem is it bounces back down to like 160. And I have a bad feeling that we got an air bubble in the cooling system. I've been pretty familiar with that stuff, dealing with rock crawlers and, you know, all the different engine combinations and moving radiators around and not getting them bled out. We did a lot of that crap in the rock crawling days. So Pete goes, okay, keep an eye on it. If it gets to 230, let me know. And what I didn't realize is that he was so cool, calm, and collected about that, that he was looking, he knew it was bad. He knew he had a problem, but he kind of acted like, well, let me know if it gets to 2.30. In the meantime, he's driving around looking for groups of people on the race course that had water, and he sees somebody with a 5 gallon jug of water, and he pulls over to that spot. We hop out of the car. We pull the belts off. Sure enough, he had an A-N fitting um, on a radiator hose that had come loose, So we we tightened it up. We filled up the water. He ran over there while we were tightening the hose, got the guy's water. We filled up the radiator. We got passed by like 25 trucks. I mean, we gave up all the starting position and adjusted time, but we got back in there and I'm thinking this guy is going to be pissed. I was completely the contrary. He said, dude, you saved her race and you saved the motor. Thank you. You can ride with me anytime you want. I was like, wow, right on, man. You know, so he just had a good attitude when the pressure was on. We ripped down the coast. You know, we had Chad and Ron
0: Stoball and You and Lance stayed like in the car the whole time, or pretty much the whole time, and they just time. changed drivers. Yeah. And that night before this all happened, when Pete got out and then Chad got in, there's some crazy stories in that one that night too, because Robbie's on your tail with just a dangling light, and he's oh, trying to yeah, follow Robert, you guys.
1: <laughs> yeah, Robbie misjudged what time they need their lights and he had smashed the rest of his lights off. So coming down from Mike's, which is a gnarly road coming down Mike's, you know, Sky Ranch there, he's on our donkey. And then we, I kind of talked Chad down. I'm like, dude, he can't pass you. Even though he's right on us, just drive your race, bro. There's nothing he can do. If he passes you, he's in the dark. So he's following you and he wants you to go fast. But don't let it affect your line. He can only stay behind you in the dark. So he did. He held it together. He drove really, really well. Um, Stobaugh didn't drive so well. I love him like a brother. But, oh, my God, he got in the center seat, and he had never driven the truck. And if you're in the middle, your sense of left and right, you'd think, would be like, well, it's really easy. They're equal. No, he decided to shift off to one side. So we were like two feet off the line everywhere for the first like 30 or 40 miles. Unfortunately, (laughs) that section had cactus all the way up and down it. So I had cactus all throughout my fire suit. I couldn't move. I I could barely pick them out. It hurt to move. It hurt to hit bumps. I was pulling cactus out of my fire suit for like the next 300 miles. Um, And I don't think I ever got them all out. And, And I also had something else that was funny at that race he pete made us wear a head and neck restraint and nobody was doing this this was unheard of but pete said you got to wear a head and neck restraint so we got r3s back in the day which i still use today right i still run that same r3 and i had to buy a helmet with the tethers back then the helmets didn't even have the attachment points so i got a helmet but it was one size too big and i'm thinking whatever it's no big deal right Well, the R3 would stop and my head would slide in the helmet. And I knew it was getting bad when I had fluid running down into my eyes, but I had blistered my forehead from the front to the, you know, all the way across and that my head would slide in there until that whole, all the skin peeled off my forehead. It was like so gnarly, but you know, in the heat of the moment, it didn't really matter. It just sucked at the pool the next day. Um, And so, you know, we, we did really well. You and I jumped back up. I don't remember what happened to the Jeep. Schaefer decided to drive
0: it, right? Something happened. Or did we yeah, get Yeah, I back? don't remember what it I don't remember what happened to the Jeep, but it we didn't have to go back or and we still won.
1: You know, somebody, won. Else,
0: somebody else must have taken over then. I think yeah, we got to
1: a certain spot on the road and I feel like they had already passed us or something. I don't know. But we didn't get back to them in time, which showed they had a pretty good pace. Or we had stayed at the hotel too long. I don't remember which, but one way or another, we it all worked out. And so let's talk about how that influenced King of the Hammers. So I just ride in a trophy truck in November. You got December, January, and then February is King of the Hammers. And Jeff Mello said, "Come ride with me at King of the Hammers." I was like, "Okay, cool." Didn't know too much about it. Kind of missed the post on Pirate that talked about it, you know, and wasn't super into it at the time i wasn't super into pirate right then i was busy working and everything was going on at once i was into pirate every day for years and years and years i just happened to miss a little bit for like a six-month segment with work and i i get invited to go down there with jeff and i was like this is it this is what i want to do you know it was rock crawling and desert racing and yet it hadn't gotten blown out to trophy truck dollars and I was like, we could do this. I could build a car for this. So I fell in love with it. I mean, you know, even with the air shocks and Jeff's car and watching how well he drove it and how it made a difference to be a good driver through the desert. And then when you got to the rocks, being smart and picking good lines and, you know, tire management and all the things And I'm like, okay, this is cool. And I, I'm in. And so Something happened in rock crawling. We had a pro mod class that had picked up a lot of steam. A lot of people were building pro mod cars. Top guys said, you know, the moon buggies have kind of ruined the sport a little bit. And so a bunch of people were building pro mod cars. And I was like, all right, let's build a pro mod car that we can use for King of the Hammers. And we'll build it with an LS7. We'll build it with Spider Tracks, lightweight, nine-inch axle housings. As opposed to like, you know, Dana 60s and, the, you know, everyone was running, well, I mean, God I went from a Volkswagen to an LS7. So it was a big change that way, right? And, um, you know, we, we got to the, Shannon Campbell built it. We built it in a week down at his shop. You know, it was a big thread on Pirate because we built the car sort of with Lance there filming it. And people got to see how good Shannon was at fabrication and Dawn right? Like, um, and Nick. You know the whole the whole Campbell Enterprises crew, how they built the cars.
0: They all and, had their own little thing to do.
1: Yep, and they, they built that car in a week, and everybody was blown away, right? It was an incredible feat. It might have taken a little bit longer to actually get the car. I had never driven it, but we were we were at the We Rock at uh, Paris in Paris, California, right? So yep. we we go to the parking lot. I think Tech was at the um, Home Depot with the Hooters. That's there. when
0: you race that dude. <laughs> <laughs> we can't get out of the trailer. I've
1: never driven the car and some guys come by drag racers come by, you know, and this is like street outlaws, you know, 2008. Um, <laughs> and they show up in the parking lot with their, you know, blower motor Mustangs with nitrous and, you know, big slicks, tub door wheels, wheel wells and everything. And they, they go, where's the, where's the, uh, uh, i think they said where's the sprint car race or something we're like no these are rock crawlers and they're like really like okay and shannon goes hey man you want to race and i'm like what are you doing shannon (laughs) shannon's like you want to race right now and the guy's like yeah we'll race you anywhere and so we we set up a drag race in the parking lot so here's a car i've never driven before i remember (laughs) in the passenger seat (laughs) and we belt up and i'm like hey I don't know if we should be in four wheel drive or two wheel drive, but whatever. Just be careful because it might like you know go off the course and who knows what the steering's gonna feel like. Like just be careful, right? And she's like, "Be careful! I'm in the passenger seat. I can't do anything." <laughs> I'm like, "All right, well, let's go for it." So we line up side by side, and God, we take off, and that thing was so freaking fast. It was twenty nine hundred and fifty pounds and had an LS seven in it, and it smoked this Mustang. And the guy was pissed. Like yes, he couldn't he believe that he just got beat. And so then there is this uh like you know whole thing and it started with you just got beat by a rock crawler and then it went into Dave's the thing in Baja you just got passed by a rock crawler, right? Yeah. But Shannon said some funny stuff that night and it'll stand in history forever is one of the funniest moments I think of that whole that whole thing. Unfortunately the car wasn't much of a rock crawler. I think we had compromised too much to make it a, a good you know pro mod car and so i went right away to uh i think i went back to schaefer's shop and bill coons was racing a seven truck and we looked at it and we said you know what this is the perfecter suspension this is what this car needs in order to be able to go fast at king of the hammers because the rock crawling setup had And you probably you know don't think about this stuff but you mount your links above the axle housing for rock crawling so that you could get that ground clearance and it would fight the suspension geometry would fight itself. And, you know, it's just a terrible setup to, to try to go fast in. And we were learning, we didn't know about going fast, but I just, I could feel it binding up. I mean, it was eating the hinds out of the thing. And it was like, all right, Schaefer cut the car off at the back section there. I mean, the tubes weren't even rusted yet and we were cutting them off. And redoing it we copied bill's truck which was a wishbone suspension and you know three link kind of setup, up and, and it worked great um i i called fox and said hey i need bypasses and coilovers to copy this thing and they're like you'll never make a rock crawler go fast in the desert it's a waste of time i actually had to buy the shocks so you know i, I bought the shocks and uh i think in the meantime they. Had, Wanted to try some bypass air shocks, and we tried them, and that's where I lost Lance. Um, the bypass air shocks didn't work really well. I was trying to make it go fast, and he was scared to death in the passenger seat. He finally said, "Let me out of this thing, man. You're gonna kill us." And so that's when he kind of said, "I don't want to. I don't want to do that now." Coupled with the fact that Dave said they needed live coverage, and he really had a huge opportunity to do. Live coverage. Um, so he he basically got the pirate van. Do you remember that thing? He oh had yeah, this, like, crazy looking van. And he put up a you know live internet connection. I don't. I think he ran a wire like all the way to back door or something crazy. Like it was it was crazy. But he put all of his effort into it. It was super important. Pirate TV was doing well. Pirate was booming, and it was a good time for him to step over to that side and miss King of the Hammers as a passenger and. It was also a good time for me to bring over a friend of mine, Jason Berger, who had been snowmobiling with me and taught me how to snowmobile, basically. And we'd get lost out there. And he always knew his way. I'm like, you, you're a great navigator. And, you know, he's calm under pressure. We had a couple of crazy incidents happen. And he always said, you know, knew how to handle the situation. And I was like, all right, you're born for this. This is your jam, you know. So um, I was able to get him to go into the passenger seat, which wasn't easy I got him in the car and he physically didn't fit. Oh, shit. He was too tall. So I think his initial reaction was that I was going to say, uh, you can't do that. You know what I mean? I said, let's just cut the roof off and make it taller. He's like, seriously? I'm like, yeah, let's get you in the car. So Jesse Haynes cut the roof off the car and reskinned it. So you know, it's pretty cool that that all worked out, got the roof and tin work all done and away we went. So practiced a lot down at the hammers and you know we spent we probably made 12 trips between the end of 08 and the race in 09 uh, down there one of them we ripped the front axle housing off two weeks before the race spun it all the way around destroyed all the shocks upper link mounts drive lines everything and I said oh my god I don't know if we're gonna get this thing back together for the race everybody came through you know Schaefer and just all my friends, everybody busted and we got it all back together and we made it down there. And luckily we did because obviously in 09 we won the race. But what the cool part of that story is, you know, awesome race, really tight with, with easy Rick. We really had a battle that was badass because I hadn't really raced anybody yet. Still, I hadn't actually raced through the desert against somebody. That was the first time that that ever happened. I was a passenger all the time until I had my own car. And so I raced there with uh, Easy Rick, who was, who was significantly better than us at the time, but, you know, we were still learning and getting better, and we were faster in the desert, and he just handed us our lunch in the rocks. And uh, I had never seen anybody drive through rocks like that. I mean, we had been rock crawling our whole life, and this was a new, you know, whole new thing. And when we got to Sledgehammer, Rick had already broken. We got the Sledgehammer, and I rolled it onto its side. And guess who's there? Pistol Pete. He comes over to the pass, to the window, the driver's side window. And he goes, we're going to roll you over. The guys are going to push you. And I said, no, I think there's no outside assistance. He goes, we're not fixing your car. We're just pushing it back on its wheels. And I, I said, I don't know if you can do that. And he said, get on race ops and find out. So I clicked down to rate, you know, weatherman or whatever we were on back. And then I think, I don't know if kwh you know, was out the, the channel now, but I get on there and I, I remember them saying, yeah, passengers can, you know, spectators can roll you over. And, man, that thing was on its wheels before the sentence was finished. And we finished <laughs> up the rest of uh, Sledge, and we went on to win the race. And that was Pete paying me back for saving the motor in Baja. Like, that whole thing came full circle, and we got that win. So that was pretty cool. And then I think the rest is history. We haven't, we haven't stopped breathing that KOH, you know, dust for 12 years now or 13 years now. And, you know, it's been, it's been a great ride. I miss the rock crawling, but I can only only have so much bandwidth, you know? Right. Yep. So it's all it's all fun stuff though.
0: Well and we just had our we just had our Wee Rock finals. We had to move yep. it from Farmington to Cedar City and we had fifty nine cars, which is biggest that we've had since housing downturn in 09. And then uh we had sixteen unlimited cars, all rear steer, and it was a phenomenal event. Phenomenal event. That's awesome. I,
1: that, It makes me so glad to know that it's still happening and doing well and thriving because it is such a great sport and it's such a great time to, you know, like see it get popular again. I think, you know, the last three or four years to see the rise of it again is awesome. I knew I got a chance to go back and do it again. I think three years ago pulled, I think we pulled Bill Coons' old car out of a field and Uh, Got it running again. We went out there and it wasn't quite ready for competition, but we still had a lot of fun that weekend. And I think what, you know, if the guys that are competing today, watch this, they're so much better today than they were back then, you know? And I think that it's incredible to see because, you know, we were probably as good as we were back then and we got it. We got it handed to us and they were significantly better today. You know, I think if I had tiny, I'd be a little more comfortable, you know. You hop in somebody's car that you don't know every intricacy of, but I drove Scrapper or the copy of it of Cody Wagner's, and still wasn't quite, you know, up to speed with what it takes to still win those events. Uh, it'd be fun to try again, you know. And I think seeing some of Jesse Haines's cars and everything, I'm like, man, that would be fun to have one of those, you know, and go out and do it again.
0: Yeah, the the level has of technology in the rock crawlers has just in the last three years has just gotten blown out of the water just amazing what what jesse is doing and and a couple of the other guys that are doing that are building cars that are very similar you know the the super lightweight everything's going smaller 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 there's a guy building everything on with because of the portals being able to build with samurai axles and a little you know 1.1 cc motor or something you know just stupid lightweight and small but it's crazy wow.
1: and they'll probably be electric and lithium powered in no time and tony k will have been right yeah
0: <laughs> just uh what 12 14 14 15 years ahead of his time
1: <laughs> yep. I saw him on tv today he was uh on uh one of trent palmer's videos doing his uh shocks for the, the stole planes and i happened to run into him at one of the uh one of the Rallies they have for, I think it was in Livermore. They had a a fly-in, and he was there. And he walked me around and introduced me to a bunch of people. And it was cool to see him. So it's cool that he made a, a name in airplane suspension after you know the rock crawling stuff.
0: I saw him in uh, in March in Texas in Gainesville at a stole event. He was there. It was Doug Jackson, one of his events, and it was it was awesome to see here's all these rock crawlers and rock racers and everybody, you know, at a fly in an event. So it was, you'd have have Doug
1: Jackson who never knew Tony K during the rock crawling days. And they end up with their worlds colliding, right? Yep. And then I was right in
0: the middle. (laughs) It was kind of crazy.
1: Doug and I got to know each other well down in Baja four years ago when we ran, um, the class 11 bug guess it was, it's coming up on five years right now, but it was, the JT's, you know, it was the Project Elf that moved along, and he purchased that, and we raced down there, and we hung out. You know, what a good dude. So um, that was the year that I met Adam, which was my crew chief for the last few years. So, you know, we've just – the people you meet and all the stuff that happens and how all that stuff goes around in a circle is just crazy. You know what I mean?
0: Oh, absolutely. I really appreciate all the opportunities that I've been given – through the rock crawling and then vora owning vora um that's how i got to go to baja the first time was with jack seipolt and bfg and that happened to be when they were shooting dust to glory so 2003 and then going down you know with you guys and pirate and then with pistol pete i helped pete for a number of years i remember one time we had a beach house you guys had a beach house outside of Ensenada, and everybody was getting hungry and you said hey rich why don't you go get us some uh, El Pastor tacos from our favorite taco cart I go down there and and I said how many to get and he goes well whatever you can get with this and you handed me a, a handful of cash you know it's like a 30 minute drive down there I stand in line and I figured out how much I needed and the guy goes how many tacos and I said 200. And he goes, 200? You know I mean? It was like he was amazed. And I said, yes, 200. So he'd make them like 10 at a time and then take care of a couple of customers, 10 at a time. And I can remember I came back with that bags full of El Pastor tacos. And for like, I don't know, there was probably, uh, there might've been 15 guys at the house or whatever, but Man, we ate a lot of El Pastor tacos that night. I remember that.
1: I've done that a couple times now, you know, random tits in the middle of Mexico, and I'm like, here, how much for 100 bucks?" And they're like, $100? I'm like, yep. They're like, oh, we'll feed all of you guys. It's like, it's the best. I love, that's the part of Ba that you just got to love, don't you? It so, is. Yep. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the way that it's all gone is just crazy, too. I mean, the, you know, starting off rock crawling and then, you know, moving along, you know, there's a lot of cool stuff. Like, you know, I became friends with Cameron Steele in such a, an amazing, like weird way. He was the announcer for the hammers and two years in a row that we won, he was the announcer. He's the first person you see on stage and you start talking to him and somehow we just kind of made a connection. And then he invited me to go on trail emissions and I got, you know, to take the family down and explore Baja with them. And that was a cool experience. You know, that, that whole thing was just something else because taking like, there were 76 people the year that we went, which was two years ago. We would have gone this year too, but you know, the COVID stuff, it was closed down, did some different stuff instead, you know, to take all those families down there. I think there was over 20 kids under 18 on that trip. And, you know, you get to meet all these great people, right? Like Olegi's, and uh, you get to meet the Currys outside of the normal realm and, you know, hang out with guys like Ricky Brabeck and stuff that just won Dakar. And, just it was just a great group and everybody had such a good time down there but that that went to the next level where it was like okay I'm down there for that he goes hey what do you think about racing the Ford Bronco in Baja you know you want to be part of that effort I was like heck yeah so one opportunity that can open a door for another you just can't believe and you know here I just got back from Parker doing a 1500 mile durability test in the Bronco R you know besides it being 116 or something It was a great time and, you know, you're starting to learn the next level, right? There's 10 Ford engineers there and they're getting data points off of cars. I mean, they literally have load sensors on parts and they're seeing what the loads are between things and you're going, wow. So like, you know, I don't know where it's going to go, but the the technology is, you know, there right now for them to get data and be able to tell us what we need to do to build faster cars. And, you know, it's going to take a while to get them to learn the data. And then be able to know how that transmits into what the next logical step is but it's cool that it's happening because you know there's just it's not that it's not being developed but it's being developed by people who don't have all the other resources right it's it's owner builders or builders that are engineers but they need to build the cars to make a living they don't have unlimited resources to come in and engineer and engineer stuff until they're like okay cool this is what you need to do you know, we're seeing that develop right now, and it's pretty pretty interesting to see it all go down.
0: Now you're a you're a Raptor owner too, aren't you? I I love my Raptor. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I'm a I'm now a Raptor owner. So oh, uh, congratulations! Welcome to the club. Yes, I've I've got an old school. It's a six two oh twelve, but I wouldn't trade it in for anything else. It was a it's always the vehicle I wanted, and picked it up last September. A year ago, I've already put like 43,000 miles on it.
1: Father-in-law's got the same one, and, and it is awesome. I mean, he's already got 175,000 miles on it, and it is just awesome, Mike. We still love that one. It sounds so good, you know, and, and it's, it's a great setup. When my brother got hurt at the uh, Ultra 4 race up in Reno, you know, one of the things I talked him into was, You know, I knew he couldn't race anymore, and I'm like, dude, sell! You don't need a pickup truck to tow your trailer anymore. Get a Raptor. You're gonna have so much fun. So, he's hooked on the Raptors. Luckily, Lance was right there. You know, the same time, I'm like, dude, get a Raptor. You're gonna love it. So he sold his, you know, van or whatever, and got a Raptor. It wasn't a hard choice, in my opinion. And I think he's just (laughs) stoked on it. So we've all had fun. You know, Waze has got one, and you know, we're planning adventure trips all the time to go do fun stuff. And I kind of look at it as like, you know, once you get to that stage where you can't moto hard or you want to take your family and go do stuff. It's, it's a pretty, you can still get pretty aggressive with them and, you know, rip along pretty hard and and still take all your stuff with you and the family and have a good time. And in a lot of ways, you know, they're, they're the most practical tool because you don't have to unload whatever it is from the trailer and then find your way back to the trailer at the end of the day. You can just keep going. And uh, we've had a lot of fun in them.
0: Yep. So
1: and hopefully I get a you know get going on a Bronco here and it'll be the same fun in no time, you know?
0: Well yeah, so, they're you... supposed to come out with that the Raptor Bronco or the whatever they're gonna call it. The yeah, we'll see what that ends up being. <laughs> I can't say anything, but yeah. I know yeah. you can't. <laughs> <laughs> I've just been hearing rumors everywhere, you know. No nobody from Ford. It's all the the raptor owner groups and everything else. Everybody everybody thinks they know somebody. I I tried to get uh, Von Gittin to give me a little information this weekend while we were at the Ultra 4 race at Area BFE. And he was like, well, I can't really talk about it right now, but I can get you in touch with the right people. And I said, okay, perfect. That's a good answer. I'm going to have to
1: steal that from him.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, we want to do some magazine stuff, but I don't want to do the magazine stuff where there's 20 other magazines or media outlets all doing the same thing. It's, it's not as personal. It's not what our, our readers want to read.
1: It's pretty cool to see, you know, Brad and Brad Lovell be able to get into that program as well. You know, and he's worked hard for it and he's been on the Ford program for years. I mean, he's raced a Ranger and competed in that same Ranger back in the rock crawling days. I feel like that's gotta be one of the oldest cars still competing in, in a good way. Like he's managed to keep that thing going from, I can't remember which year, Rich, but that thing's been around for a minute. You know, he's sure done a lot of neat stuff over his career from rock crawling. You know, I think there's quite a few people that can say that. And he's one of them for sure. But it's cool to see him be part of the program. There's a couple other people that are going to be involved in it, too, that are that are, you know, in that same realm of got their start in rock crawling and are moving along with the sport as it's progressing. So,
0: yeah, I interviewed uh, Shelby Hall. And she was part of the race program. She's not sure where that's where, you know, she's the same way. Lips are sealed. You know, I know that she's doing, I don't know what you call it, product testing. But, you know, she goes out and, and does some things with them and stuff. But, you know, she uh, she learned off-road racing from one of the best, you know. Yeah, sure.
1: well. yeah, I think there are films coming out really soon, too, a documentary about her dad. And I want to see that the moment it comes out. So, you know. I think um, it's available this Barbara week Rainey,
0: i think posted something up about it being available on pay-per-view now
1: i think it's it's if it's not today it's you know it's this week so yeah you know i'm looking through my phone to see if i can find out when because i know she said something but uh i don't, I don't see it but it's definitely oh here it is it premiered yesterday if you're okay. interested in watching it it's the part of the breck film festival so if uh, you know people want to check it out, check out the Breck Film Festival, and it's on their uh, site. But yeah, it's uh, it's cool that they did that. And she's a heck of a driver too, so it'll be it's a good team. You know, we're gonna go down there. I think uh, Cameron Steele, myself, Kurt Ledoux, who you got to get on the show. I know he only did a couple rock crawls, but he's he won,
0: and he yeah, won. won.
1: He won and he won it right. Yeah, He goes, I'm um, not
0: going to go to another one because I won. That's all I need
1: to do. <laughs> nope. He is undefeated. Yep. He, he's a character. He's a great guy. I've had so much fun with him. He's such a great trainer to all the team, you know, because he's been around it. He's done it all. Obviously, I mean, look at his kids and their successes too. And, you know, just the way though that he teaches you stuff or, you know, it's not like any of us need to pick up speed. We all need to learn how to respect sort of a stock class vehicle in the desert, right? We, you get sucked into this, you know, 800 horsepower through the desert thing. And the next thing you know, you get into a, a vehicle that's got sort of its own happy place on speed. And you have to learn how to drive it. As he says, he's got a great saying on everything. He says, uh, you know, it's not like you drive it to your limit, but you drive it, to oh let me think of how he says it because it's so good but it's a Kurt Leduc saying. I'll have to think of it here. If it comes to me I'll bring it back up. But he right. he he has got a great tact about the way he handles things and, and the way he drives. We drive very similarly, which makes me really comfortable when I'm in the car with him because you know the way he is hard on the brakes, gets slowed down and then goes through stuff as opposed to like breaking weight early for it and rolling up to it. You know he's got that same style and the way he approaches a corner and everything so you you know you can see what he's going into and you feel like okay this guy's you know he's ahead of it instead of it stuff kind of coming at him he's doing some instructional driving for people at the same time through driven i know he's working with those guys to uh, take ford engineers and different people out and teach them how to drive the raptors and things like that and they're using johnson valley and places like that so he's doing training and, and he's it's a perfect fit for him because he's such a good trainer um, and then Johnny Campbell is leading that effort for us with running the team and uh, <laughs> you know he's the logistical expert of all logistical experts I mean he has it dialed and, and you know uh, it's pretty impressive to see how he, he orchestrates it
0: well, look you know, how many how many years. championships he won for Honda
1: well, I mean, we all call him eleven times, so I know he's won eleven one thousands, you, you know, overalls or something like that, which is pretty unbelievable. He's just the greatest guy to hang out with, too. Like, it's like an honor to be able to hang out with him, you know, to have him and just to be part of that team is like a dream come true. So, I'm very, very, very fortunate to have had all those doors opened up. Just in, uh, you know, from kind of from doing well and, and meeting the right people at the right time and, and seeing the stuff unfold. It's, it's really cool. So. Um.
0: Well, I'll, I'll say you have the right personality too, because you're, you're easy to get along with. You've always been a gentleman, even when things, I mean, I can remember sometimes I'm not going to bring them up that where things kind of went sideways at events, but you were always, you've always been a gentleman and you've always been a great ambassador for the sports so, for rock sports in general so you know that's 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 why you get these kind of opportunities
1: well it's nice of you to say you know i think that's uh good good parenting as a kid or something they taught me to always be respectful and you know i try to instill that in my kids too you know it's crazy though my daughter's competing in the horse stuff and she's got that like passion for it and uh she gets all into it and i'm like oh boy here we go so we're we're doing that stuff on the weekends and, you know, she's, she's super into it. Like as much as I was ever into the racing, she's into the horse stuff and a lot better than boys. So I'm happy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so <laughs> True enough. So is there anything else that you want to touch on? What do you, what do you see for Jason Scherer in the future? Just, uh, is there anything particular you haven't done yet that you want to do? Yeah, there's a few things. Um,
1: you know, I started my own line of products for the for the Jeep crowd at first, you know, kind of a race quality Jeep thing. And it was really kind of in a response to the fact that there wasn't a poison spider left in the market anymore making kind of the higher quality stuff. And it's it's really taken off. I mean, it's, it's crazy to see, but people who want to build a nice quality part um, are still out there. You know, there's still a lot of people who are, who are totally happy with just having it look, like it's ready to go, but there's still a group of people who are like, you know what? I want that next level of performance and stuff. And it's a cool relationship. You know, I, I've got a couple of people in the industry that I've built the race cars with that are doing, you know, the SolidWorks design on everything. And we're putting out all of our thoughts on paper and getting them out there. Where we're like, okay, here's, look at how cool we can do this and this and this. And we're not sitting there saying that, you know, cost is our basis. It's more, what other kind of attributes can we build into these to make them nice? And uh, it's a great relationship with laser nut because they do all the laser cutting and welding and, you know, the quality of it stays really high with, with Cody's relationship there. You know, that's been going well. Obviously we're going to branch into this Bronco stuff with a relationship that we've built there. And so we've got parts coming out for those. And it's neat that that's something that we're able to, You know, get the drawings early and work on the parts early because we're going to go out and do the testing, and we'll know what's what needs to be there. And we're branching into some suspension parts on, you know, things that we'll find out and and through our durability testing on that stuff. We're like, aha, look at this, you know. So it's neat that we're we're at that stage. I think from a product development side, I still enjoy that. You know, Uh, I luckily the Campbells showed me how to build the cars years ago because it became as much of a passion to build them as it did to race them. And, you know, I'm not the best fabricator, but I really have a passion for, you know, trying to design the part to make it faster. Um, there's people who are awesome. I mean, like the Dan Trouts and, you know, keep, you know, Keith at uh, get bent is doing all the, the fab for me today, uh, on stuff as we switch my car over to a Ford engine and things like that. So, you know, I've got good people that are, are surrounding us to build good cars, even if I'm not, you know, the world's best. I, I can I can fabricate stuff and weld stuff up, but it, it looks like it got done at my, you know, house. But it still, you know, it still works. It's functional. It's just not the artwork that those guys create. And, you know, I've had fun with that. But I do have a, a hankering to either build or find a way to get into a trophy truck with the technology we've learned in ultra four. And, you know, there's some guys that are really switched on in ultra four right now. You know, I think this weekend we watched the race where, you know, you saw the Gomez's and Horschel battling it out. And I think Joe Thompson is, you know, on the top of the game and Horschel's right next to him as far as, you know, builders that are getting the cars to that next level. And I think it's interesting because you know, in trophy trucks, there's like one game in town on the all wheel drive stuff right now. I'm not sure they've got it figured out as well as some of these other guys. Uh, They're building incredibly beautiful cars and they're engineered to the T and their fabrication skills are top notch and the quality of their products is, you know, unparalleled. But I think there's some ideas that the Ultra 4 guys had that are keeping the cars alive through the harsh terrain that would actually benefit them quite a bit. And it's in some stuff that they probably think of as kind of low budget. And I don't think they've looked at it, but I think that we can, we could build a competitive car, you know, and still make it finish the races. And so, you know, I think it'd be fun to, to go give it a shot and at least get it, you know, in the next 10 year window. And we're still, you know, able to go out and compete for that, you know, I've been working out hard to try to stay in shape to be able to do that. And, you know, I think there's a limited window of opportunities because it takes us a couple of years to build and develop a car, and you know you get so many shots at the thousand, right? It's a once a year deal, and yep. go down there and, and give them hell and try to see if we can actually hang with them. So, you know, that's on the list for sure. And I want to win another Hammers, so um, at least you know a couple more if I if I have my brothers. I think that race to me is the hardest race. It's brutal, and I don't know. You know, maybe it's gotten. A little easier, and people are saying it's, you know, not quite the challenge it used to be. But I don't feel that way. I I feel like the pace that the guys at the front are racing at, it's harder than it's ever been. You know, I know that if the trails are a little easier, it does make it so a lot more people are finishing. But it doesn't change how hard we're racing the guys in the front. You know, no,
0: and and more people finishing is not a bad thing.
1: You know, the cars are better, the parts are better, the prep is better the trails might be a little easier and more blown in, but we went from seven miles an hour to nine miles an hour in the rocks and they didn't get any softer when you hit them. So it's, you know, it's, we're just, we're just going a little faster and, you know, that's got its toll on a whole nother level of parts. And I think it's cool and yeah, more people are going to finish it because there's just more, more depth of of vehicles and more preparation. And, you know, you're never going to have, the situation where guys hadn't run it before like they have now it's it's going into its 13th year or whatever Jeez, it's going into like its 15th year or something right so it's been around for a minute and people have kind of figured it out so it's going to have a higher finishing rate at, over time just like the thousand does
0: yep well i want to say thank you so much for for coming on conversations with big rich there's some things like i i told you beforehand that you know i always learn something about people that I interview even though I've known you for so long and you know we've been down to Baja together and all that kind of stuff when you do do the trophy truck thing I would love to cover that in the magazine especially since I know it'll be all wheel drive I'd like to be part of that in whatever small way I can help so well, keep it in you mind. have to go down there
1: with us and, and enjoy it too you know that I've sure had a lot of fun with you over the years I think you know there's been I know there was some people who were competitors and they couldn't get past the promoter-competitor thing. We've always just had a great friendship. You know, I was competitive, but I wasn't uh I wasn't ever at the stage where I was gonna blame somebody else for something that happened from a volunteer judge. You know, I I looked past it and said, Hey man, it's a judgment call. The guy made the wrong call. It's just the way that the cookie crumbles, and I never got into that, like, you know, took it too far. And I know that was hard for a lot of people, but I always respected you and the job and the effort that you put into it. That little put into it, and and even Shelly, as you know, the time moved on with, you know, over the years and, and how hard you worked at it because it is a lot of work setting those courses and getting everybody checked in and, and doing all the stuff that you guys did. And I don't know if you guys got enough credit for putting all those together and and finding the venues and orchestrating it all. So I know as you know, from all the years that we did it, I always appreciated it and uh, had a lot of fun. Met some of the greatest people in my life from it. So, you know, really a a great time for me. I hope to be able to do some of it again in the future someday, but glad to see it successful still, um, or again, or however you want to look at it. And I'm really happy for you too, Rich.
0: Well, thank you, Jason. And uh, say hello to the family for me. And uh, again, thank you so much for your time.
1: Well, yeah, cheers, you guys. Thanks a lot for having me on.
0: Okay, thank you. If you enjoy these podcasts, please give us a rating share some feedback with us via Facebook or Instagram and share our link among your friends who might be like-minded. Well, that brings this episode to an end. Hope you enjoyed it. We'll catch you next week with Conversations with Big Rich. Thank you very much.